Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 40, following along with Walk in the Spirit, Galatians. Before we get to the intro, I wanted to read in the Bible Dictionary just a little bit about the uh, the epistle to the Galatians as I've been going through. I've, I've realized I probably should have been doing this the entire time as we were going through the epistles of Paul, but I'm going to start now. Here's what it says. The epistle was written by Paul at the news of wholesale defection from the truth of the gospel in favor of a return to the bondage of the Jewish laws. In the epistle, he vindicates his own position as an apostle, enunciates the doctrine of righteousness by faith, and affirms the value of spiritual religion as opposed to a religion of externals. And so that's the background for why this letter came to be, which I just feel is like it gives that really helpful context to me, at least, as I'm reading and understanding, oh, this is the why that he's directing what he's doing. Because um, specifically, like when he talks about his place as an apostle, I sat there being like, okay, but we knew this already. And then realizing, well, I guess actually, as I went back through the reading, this is kind of the first time he actually talks about his call to be an apostle. And so I guess that's just knowledge that I, because I had been taught it, and we, we know it historically, I didn't think to realize, oh, at some point he was called uh, to become an apostle, which means he was backfilling, I don't know, whoever had passed away, whichever apostle passed away. Uh, so I thought that was interesting again. Hadn't thought of it before, going through this really helped. In the introduction of the lesson, it says, The gospel of Jesus Christ offers freedom from spiritual bondage. But sometimes people who have experienced the freedom of the gospel turn away from it and desire again to be in bondage. This is what some Galatian saints were doing. They were turning away from the liberty Christ had offered them. Paul's epistle to the Galatians then was an urgent call to come back to the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. This call is one we also need to hear and heed because while circumstances change, the struggle between freedom and bondage is constant. As Paul taught, it's not enough to be called unto liberty. We must also stand fast in it by relying on Christ. And so this lesson had a ton to offer. I feel like I say that a lot. I got to be honest. And it, now that I say that, I'm like, you know, but I, I love the New Testament and I love the epistles of Paul, they're my favorite. And so maybe that speaks to it, right? Like I'm just finding a lot because this is my favorite works. Uh, but maybe you feel the same way. So we're on the same page here. This is awesome. In the in section one, it says the law of Christ makes me free. Um, there are two verses or two uh, scriptures rather that I pulled from as I went through and was understanding thoughts of how the law of Christ makes us free. This is, Paul teaches that it's, you know, that the law of Moses was like a yoke of bondage and how Christ's law, we become yoked with him and that's where we receive this freedom. Um, but there are two things that actually in the reading that stood out to me when I thought about how can we exercise this freedom? Uh, that how, does, how can we exercise the freedom that we get from the law of Christ? So the first one is in Galatians chapter one, verse 10. It says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. 
what I gleaned from that immediately is that it goes against natural wisdom to become, when it says to be a servant of Christ, it doesn't sound like freedom to be a servant. And yet we know that as we enter covenants with Jesus Christ, that we learn how to be his disciple. We become his servants. We serve and, and do as he says, which is to serve his children and serve our, to our, serve our brothers and sisters. And so as we become the servant, we then understand to live the same life that Christ led. And as we do that, as we enter this covenant path, which was talked about a lot through General Conference, as we enter this, we learn how to become eternally free. And so we can learn by practice and by exercising uh, our covenant relationship, we learn how to be true disciples of Christ, which will make us free. Um, the other thing is that <clears throat> being a servant of Christ is not going to be popular. Paul asked the question, do I now persuade men or God? Am I seeking to please men? And how many times has in general conference there been an address that the media takes issue with people on social media take issue with and come out and say, well, that, you know, so much of general conference was great, except for, you know, whichever, whichever talk it was that was offensive to, to whoever. And, um, I've, I even, as I was going through social media over the weekend, had seen some people that had come out and said that certain talks were highly offensive to them. I'll talk about this more in the next episode since that's so that's supposed to be when I talk about general conference, but I will just say, I think that's kind of the point of, of this discipleship of this journey. There were when, when it not, I want to make sure that the spirit of my words is understood. Um, so I'm, I'm weak in words, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to get at. I sat during general conference this last weekend and felt called to repentance in several areas. And it was uncomfortable. Uh, a word, a gut word I would use was I was offended, but not offended in the sense of oh, how dare, you know, this be said, offended because I realized it was a realization for me looking in the mirror and realizing there are actions and there are um, thoughts I have that are out of alignment with a true disciple of Christ. And so I have caused offense or I am offensive in the sight of God because of my natural fallen state. And so it was uncomfortable to sit there and recognize that I need to change. So I felt that. And I could say that there's nothing like giant that I would say is like this very obvious uh, stain or whatever behavior where everyone's like, yeah, don't, this is exact. Now in fairness, my family did call me out several in several areas of her maybe being a little too passionate or, uh, <laughs> needing to work on being judgy. Uh, there are several of those things, right? But ultimately, I felt a need to change. And that is uncomfortable. And so when someone says they were offended, I honestly want to be like, yeah, that's the point. The point is that it's an opportunity for you to look inward and say, okay, how would I like to be better in the next six months? And what Paul is saying here when he says is, is his job as a disciple to please men or is it to please God? Well, if it's to please God and we know that God, no unclean thing can dwell in the presence of God and you and I are unclean. 
as we are right now, you and I are unclean. We need to be changed, sanctified. And that process requires work. It requires faith. It requires change, which is uncomfortable. And so, yeah, there's going to be times where you're upset or offended uh, because there are times when I'm upset and offended. I think we all go through that. We all may look at it differently, but at the end of the day, if we need to change and that's an uncomfortable process, then yeah, welcome to the process of the gospel. We're all in it together though. And so again, something I took away is how can I help those that I'm trying to serve uh, recognize that it's it's not a, I may be stronger in certain areas than you are, but that doesn't make me better than you. And so as I'm trying to communicate in my own path of change, how can I make sure to come off that it's always loving, it's encouraging, I'm trying to build others and not tear others down or make anyone feel like I'm above them. That's a very difficult uh, journey to figure out because I think it's far too easy, you know, as we're teaching and working together to put ourselves above one another without even meaning to. It's unintentional, but it happens all the time. So that's something that I've been working through and thinking about. But ultimately what Paul is saying is that, yeah, being saints, uh, being fully committed, being fully in the gospel, it's not going to be popular. And so you need to make in your mind the commitment right now that popularity doesn't matter to you. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself trying to put one foot in the world and one foot uh, with God. And that divide will destroy you. It's impossible to, to keep that. And then Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16, it says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Uh, let me let me preface before I go into this, because there's a couple verses here. It's lengthy. The point I want to get to is that Paul shares this story about how he chastised Peter, right, who was the chief apostle, essentially the prophet, but the chief apostle. And this kind of relationship, I think, is interesting and something that there's a conclusion I'll get to the point after this that I think is good for us as we we look at our own discipleship and helping one another. So back to what I was reading. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. So Peter, to translate this, uh, Peter had eaten with Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So then he's eating at a different occasion, or rather, I guess the Jews... Uh, come of their group comes and he sees them and is worried about being judged by them for eating with the Gentiles because the Jews believe that the Gentiles were unclean because they weren't circumcised. And so he withdraws himself. So one, he's eating with them and then he sees it. He's like, oh wait, I can't sit with them. And so he was because he was worried. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. So then he's, he separated. So then the other Jews there are like, oh yeah, that's right. We can't be here either. In so much that Barnabas, which was one of Paul's mission companions, as we've been reading about, also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we had believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul's using this, by the way, not just to share a story about how he called Peter out. This is, and this is why it's important that we understand that introductory part about why this was written to the Galatians. The Galatians were 
doing this exact same thing. They had received the gospel, understood the law, but then had fallen into this belief that it was the law of Moses that was the higher law, and that's what they needed to be doing instead. And that was incorrect. And so he shares this story of how even Peter had fallen into, at some point, this old belief, because Peter was raised a Jew, he was raised within the law, and it was a change for him, as we had read in Acts chapter 10, it was a change for him to uh, to get rid of those customs, right, and to live Christ's law. And so at some point, he kind of fallen back, he'd forgotten it, that. Uh, Peter was also fallible here, he was not perfect, and Paul had to call him out. So he uses this story as instruction for those in uh, Galatia, I guess. I guess I, I'll be honest. I forgot to check which countries this were. I know in the in the Bible dictionary it talks about they're not exactly sure necessarily which areas it's for. But anyway, I digress. He's using this as instruction, not just as like a and check it out. I called out. I called out Peter, the chief apostle. But I also think it's important for us to recognize that there's sometimes we're going to have to stand up and reprove one another because you and I aren't perfect. We need to work together and help one another if we notice unrighteous behavior. And um, Peter certainly had the opportunity to be offended there, but he, I'm reading between the lines here, he clearly wasn't. Uh, or if he was, him and Paul figured out how to come together and work. I think the greatest relationship that can be built, though, is when we have that relationship where we can call each other out, and I don't mean like a, a public condemnation sort of thing, but when we recognize and work together to have a relationship of love where correction is loving. We know that uh, the Lord corrects those who he loves, and so we have to have that same relationship where we're working on our loving relationship. Too often, we're t we, especially in the church, get so excited about correcting incorrect behavior that we forget that the most powerful correction comes when the relationship of love has been established already. And we go to correct what we, I think all of us just have that natural ability to, to be, have a critical eye for things that are incorrect over things that are right. We, we notice things that are wrong before we notice things that are right. And so we're naturally prone to correct those things. Um, I've been corrected multiple times, a lot of times in my life. Uh, I'm probably corrected all the time daily. And I have noticed internally that I listen far more to the correction when it's coming from someone who has spent the time building that relationship with me. And so even like family who I've known my entire life, if they have not put the, the efforts into building those relationships uh, right now in the present, then when they go to correct me, it does not have the same effect as someone who is constantly building the fun relationships, building that good relationship where I know that they love me and there's trust there. And when they give that correction or that encouragement to change, I know it's coming from a good place and not just like you need to be better because, you know, it makes my life better and because I can see your weakness, right? So work on that. That's something we can do. But also it is our job as saints to correct each other and, and fix that unrighteous behavior. So uh, in this specific situation, I also just address this. Stewardship is important. Paul was able to correct Peter because they were both apostles. Um, it's not going to necessarily be your job to correct, you know, whichever church leaders like. If, for instance, I would not recommend going and thinking, oh, I'm going to go correct an apostle's behavior, right? That's 
That wouldn't be your stewardship lines. Uh, but certainly, uh, as us as peers in the gospel, it's 100% within our realm to do that for each other. I, I don't know if that made sense at all. I'll be honest. As I said, I was like, I don't know if that made sense. But I know what I'm trying to get at. So I'm really hoping the Spirit just carries that correct message. In section two, it says, I am an heir to the blessings promised to Abraham. And I just want to read what it says and come follow me because there wasn't necessarily scriptures here, but it says some of the Galatian saints were concerned that because they were not literal descendants of Abraham, they would not receive the blessings promised to Abraham, including exaltation. According to Galatians, what qualifies a person to be the seed of Abraham? And the answer is being of the faith. It's just being of the faith. Inclusivity is used a lot in our, our modern era, especially within the last five years. Um, there are even career positions around being inclusive. And as I've thought about this, being part of God's family is the most inclusive group of all time. One, we're already in it, but when it comes to being part of that covenant relationship, anyone can enter it. Anyone can be able to walk into the waters of baptism and make their first steps on that journey to becoming fully fledged, you know, members and receiving all that God has for them. It does require steps of agency to be made. You have to make certain choices. Um, you have to do things, but it's not, there is no like limit or bar for who's able to be part of God's family and receive all of the covenant blessings, which is pretty awesome because I don't, I really can't think of a single group that is like that. So speaking of inclusive, it's the most inclusive group you can be part of. In section four, it says, if I walk in the spirit, I will receive the fruit of the spirit. And this is important because if we're not receiving the fruits of the spirit, then how the heck do we know that all of this is actually working? How do we know that all of our efforts are, are accounting for anything? Um, Again, this is going to be one where it's just, it was certain verses that spoke to me. So in Galatians chapter five, verse 26, it says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And I think this is, this verse stuck out to me because it's important to not be a hindrance for yourself or by others by misunderstanding what true glory is. And the last episode I shared a social media post um, and how just uh, an acquaintance of mine felt like you know, she kept referring in the social media post to authority and the ability to, like, make decisions for other people. And it, it to me, came up. I'm sure this isn't what she meant. Speaking of understanding the spirit of when someone's means, I'm sure she did not intend or mean, like, she wants power over someone else. But it is, it's something we got to be really careful about, um, not seeking to have dominion over others. And I've even recognized it myself and because others have called me uh, out for it, same as Paul to Peter, where I've said I want authority in like my career and ability to be able to make decisions for other people. And when it was like, well, why? Because I know I'd make the right ones. Well, why can someone else make someone else make the right ones? Well, I don't trust that other people make the right ones. And as we went through that line of questioning, I realized, ah, okay, there's something inside of me that does want. It's more than just wanting to serve other people. There's also maybe a part that does want a little bit of that dominion uh, because it comes with a perceived respect. It comes with a perceived uh, standing, a status. And so being able to find those very human things in us, be able to face that reality, which is very tough because uh, I was listening to this, this psychologist um, 
Brian Tracy, and he talked about in, in this thing I was listening to about success, where he said, nobody believes that what they're doing is wrong. As we're making actions, right? None of us stop and say like, oh, this is definitely wrong, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Other than, I guess, criminals and psychopaths. I don't know. Like, I think anyone can justify their actions for, well, I'm doing it for the good of X, Y, Z. But it's true. None of us want to believe that what we're doing comes from a an insincere place or, or a prideful place. And as we're able to step back and be honest with ourselves and look and, and ask ourselves, why are we making the decisions we're making or why do we do what we do? It's not always good. And it's not always coming from a good place. And if we can really look in the mirror and say, okay, let me figure out what's the good and what's the not good. And how can I separate these things? It's the most healthy thing you could do. And so I've had to recognize that I have those in, in me where it's like, wanting glory, wanting vain glory, something we need to be careful about. If you are wanting a certain calling uh, in the church because you're like, oh, I just, I would do it so much better than another person. In my experience, the point of calling is, is rarely because, you know, the church is supposed to be running like this super effective and efficient company. Uh, because half the time, the people that get called to callings, for instance, me call, being called a uh, Sunday school president right now, I can tell you I'm not the best person that should have been called, called to this calling. There's so many people there would be way better at it than me. And that's not me trying to do a fake humility. I'm serious. There are people who I've looked at and I'm like, oh my gosh, you just think about things in a way that you would do this so much better than I'm doing it right now. The point of our service is not because we're putting the best people in these callings. It's opportunities to grow. It's opportunities to learn. And Similar to how when you receive a calling, it's an opportunity for you. It's also an opportunity for those that you're serving to be served, to be humble, to, to learn all of these things. At the end of the day, God doesn't care what callings you served in. It's not about that. That that will not be something that gets you into heaven, whether you did or didn't have certain callings. It's, it's how much did you magnify the responsibilities you were given. So you may not be called to, and I'm air quoting, high positions of authority in the church. And that will not matter when it comes to getting into the highest degree of glory and the celestial kingdom. It won't. And so why do we spend so much time looking at this as if it's, if it's, uh, again, it's this vain glory. Why do we spend so much time worrying about it? It's that human part of us. And it's something that we need to come and understand and recognize. It's not about that. In Galatians 6, 8, it says, for he that soweth to his flesh shall also uh, shall also, excuse me, he, uh, to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And we talked about this in the last episode about where you're spending your time and sowing, but what do you focus on? It is an open question. What are you focusing on? What are the things that are occupying your thoughts most of the day? Just today, what's been your primary thought? If it's not something that's of eternal worth, don't focus on it. I Every day you and I have to focus on things that are menial and, and just part of the day-to-day, and that's fine. But we do so much better for ourselves when we're able to put our the majority of our time to things of eternal consequence and of eternal worth. Thinking of your family, thinking of your friends, thinking how you can build other people and who's struggling right now because there's someone in your life right now who's struggling and they're struggling more than you are. And don't get caught up in the, but I'm struggling and no one seems to be ministering to me. No one seems to be reaching out to me. 
you you become a disciple of Christ when you forget yourself and focus on those around you. And it's true what they say. I, I really do. When I'm able to to separate, which is hard. It's hard, especially when you've got something um, heavier than normal, something that you're dealing with that's heavier than usual. Um, I'm right now currently in a pretty good place of struggles or things I'm, I'm worrying about. Like the biggest struggle, the biggest stress on my life right now is that Lex and I are about to have a baby and, and she really wants to have this baby and be done because we're past her due date. And it's frustrating, you know? I, I mean, I've never been pregnant, but I hear that it's not exactly the most enjoyable experience, especially near the end. And that's the biggest stress is just making sure that we have a healthy and happy baby, that mom's healthy and happy. That's my biggest stress. And because it's not my first rodeo, I'm doing fine. But I know 100% what it's like when I'm not doing fine. And it wasn't too long ago that I was do that was enduring something that was not going well. And I had those moments where I was like, why is nobody reaching out to me? Why is nobody taking care? Now, the, the fact was people who actually were 100% there for me. I have a lot of people in my corner in my camp who do constantly minister to me. So it was more of just, I think those natural human emotions that we have, where it doesn't matter how many people are trying to take care of you, when you are dealing with something that is heavier than usual, it just feels like you're alone, even when you're not alone, even when there is so many evidences that say you're not alone. And it's something that we have to deal with and work through. And the best way to work through it genuinely is looking for other people. You can always find someone who has it harder than you do. Um, which is also, I mean, that's in some ways that's kind of discouraging to think about, but it's an opportunity for you to be that person that you want someone to be for you. Finally, in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, it says, and let us not be wary in well-doing for in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. And this, I think, speaks to speaking of fruits, because that's the whole point of this section. Speaking of the fruits, sisters and brothers, there are times where you're going to feel like you're not seeing the fruits. And I just saw, again, a, a different friend today, I just found out, is no longer participating in in church, is no longer going, is, is no longer um, a covenant keeper. And every time, every time it like, it really hurts my soul. It gets to me. Um, maybe, maybe it shouldn't, but it does. It affects me. It doesn't affect my testimony. It doesn't affect like, I don't deal with these questions. It's like, Oh no, it affects me because I'm sad. I'm sad that I feel like I've lost, I've lost another friend who I thought was as committed as I was. And, and, and that, I don't, I don't want that to come off prideful in any way. It's, it's not a prideful thing. It's about, it's like, I feel like it's like running a race. And speaking of just the half marathon I ran a couple weeks ago, it was really helpful when I was feeling discouraged and down during that race to look around and see other people were still running it and looked as miserable as I did. Right. It wasn't like I looked around and everyone was just like superheroes running, being like, I don't know why this guy's struggling. Like we were all in the same place, but we were still running the race and we were trying to get to the finish line and we were encouraging each other, right? They're, I'm total random strangers. And I'm like, as I'm passing, I'm like, you've got this. And as way more people were passing me, they're all like, hey, good job. Keep running. You've got this. And that similar to that far more important race, the race of eternity and, and all this, it's like when you feel like you got friends who are committed and then all of a sudden they're posting, uh, openly right on social media that they're like, I'm no longer practicing or participating in 
in, in this particular case, this person posted, I'm happier. And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure you're happier because you probably feel like you have way less responsibilities and you, and you don't have to, to maintain this covenant relationship, right? But there's no strength that comes from that. There's no strength from, from removing yourself from Christ. There's no peace that comes. And for me, I'm like, it's, that's what I cling on to. That is my whole thing. Without that, I don't, I would be so freaking lost and I'd be scared. And I've had those feelings of being lost and scared and I hate it. I, I will, I refuse to live that. When I say that I'm, that I'll never leave, that's not from this, like, because of my deep, immense faith. It's because of like, I would be scared to not have what I have. I would be terrified to not have the surety of knowledge and the surety of peace that comes, especially through my darkest times. And I mean it. In my darkest times, I have nothing to cling on to but like my faith and my testimony. And I will not abandon that because I don't know what the heck else I'm supposed to cling on to. And so other people have seemed to figure out what they can cling on to. But for me, I won't. And it does. It affects me. And so the advice I have and the reason I'm sharing this verse, like I'll read it one more time. And let us not be wary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Sisters and brothers, we're only going to be able to reap those rewards. All the efforts you're putting in right now, all the times where you're like, why the crap am I still doing this? I'm not seeing the fruits that I want to be seeing. I promise they will come. And even if they don't come in this life, I promise you, in the eternities, which is real, after this life, there is an after this life, and you will receive those blessings. They're far greater than if you received them now in this life. But we only receive them if we faint not. And I am in this race with you. I'm running it slower than you are, and I'm probably looking way more miserable than you do. But I'm in it, and I'm not quitting, and I pray that you won't quit either. Don't stop running this race with me. And if you feel the burn and you want to slow down, just pull back a little bit, but don't quit. Don't stop running it. I'm with you. I'm in this with you, and I'm not leaving. And gosh dang it, please don't leave me. I need you. I need your strength, and I need your light, and there are others that need your strength, and there's others that need your light. And it is freaking discouraging. It's really discouraging. When you see friends who you thought were committed and they're no longer committed, and that's hard. And so, sister, brothers, I, I, it might not be enough, but I need you, okay? I really, I really do need you. <clears throat> and I love you. And, and I know it's hard, but I love this hard and I love, I love having this hard with you. And just this opportunity to do this, like, this dumb podcast right just to be able to talk about come follow me with you and just trying to catch up (laughs) trying to get back on track this is i love it i love doing it and i love being able to connect with you and i hope i hope you know that there's someone out there who your light does matter to and it's me i need your light so please don't stop running this race. And if there's anything I can do for you, I will freaking I will be there with you, running side by side, giving you those stupid gel things that don't even work and they end up ruining my pockets and I had to clean everything. It was, it was a whole miserable thing. I hate running. I don't I'm done running. Anyway, 
but I'm not, but I'm not done running the, the race of the gospel with you. I promise you that. Let me conclude with these three things and grab a stupid tissue. No point in getting emotional. It's ridiculous. It says, brothers, there's three verses in Galatians chapter six. Galatians 1, 2, and 3. Here's what it says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I'm going to stop there and just say, be a helper. Don't be a hinderer. Elder Uchtdorf, during general conference, talked about be the father in the example with the prodigal son. Don't be the brother who's upset. Be the, be the father who is open-armed when someone's trying to come back. And I'm working at being better open-armed to my to all my friends, especially those who are no longer running the race because I want them back. I want them as my running partners. Galatians chapter 2, or 6, 2. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is a commandment. Christ commands us to bear each other's burdens. And I want to leave you with this, this question to ponder. How do you bear another's burdens? And in verse 3, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Sister brothers, do not glory in yourself. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how strong I am. We do no good if we glory in our works. Always give credit to God, and you will find true success. I know because I've done both. I've done good works, and then I gave myself the credit, and it amounted to nothing. And when I've done good works and give God the credit, because that's whose credit it really is, Everything changed. There's there. It's like I receive more light. I receive more understanding. And do not allow yourself to be tempted to let Satan whisper in your ear and ever say that you are the one who is making the change. It's not you. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Ghost. And be grateful that you are a tool being used in their hands and not in Satan's hands. Thank you for joining my family room discussion. I love you, sisters and brothers. Until we meet again. Have a blessed week.